I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to this Ruler podcast and to our very special guest. We're joined by musician, actor and keen cyclist Gary Kemp. Gary, of course, first came to fame in the 80s as the guitarist, singer and songwriter with Spandau Ballet and later returned to what was his first love, acting, appearing in a string of films, starting with The Craze with his brother Martin. But it's his cycling we're here to talk about today. Also with me is Ruler executive editor Ian Cleverly. And later we'll be hearing from the editor of Ruler's Desire section, Stuart Clapp, in the feature we might unfortunately have to call Stuart Clapp's Desire. So Gary Kemp, uh, welcome to the podcast. And thank Hi. You for. Uh, inviting us into your home thank you um i called you a keen cyclist in the introduction there how keen are you well i love it yeah i love it and i try and get out as much as i can but it's always um a balance you know i've got a i've got a young family um three young boys um and and so weekends are always a little bit difficult my wife uh cycles as well well she got into it because she when I first got into it, I, she, I started wanting to go out a bit and, and she didn't want to be that sort of cycling widow. We're both really into fitness and we're both previous to this and still are into mountain walking and, and any kind of country walking. So she said, well, I'll go and get my, I'll get a bike as well and keep up with you. And, uh, and, and so we normally on a Sunday, we've got a house up out in the, in the Cotswolds at weekends and we will often get a babysitter to come in at sort of 7am and, um, and we'll go out cycling. Because I was going to ask, your, your home here is in central London. Presumably it's, it's quite hard to get much cycling in around here. Obviously there's Regent's Park. Um, there's Richmond. I can do it on a Saturday and not, not, you know, really take too much time out of the family if I want to do that. If I'm in town, I'm usually out of town. But um, what we do in the... Uh, maybe when the weather's a little bit nicer than it's been of late, because um, the roads are a bit chippy up there, is we... Um, drop the kids at school with the bikes on the roof and we'll go to the Chilterns, go up to Marlow, um, park up there and just cycle up in the hills for a few hours and get back in time to pick them up from school. Um, I think that is so... I mean, it's, it's like 40 minutes from central London to get to, get to the Chilterns. And, uh, in fact, I remember cycling with Lauren up uh, along the trip, some back road there and coming the other way was, uh, was Sam and Kadir uh, <laughs> from King Trigger and from Funkapolitan in the 80s. So there were like some, an eight, a meeting some spooky of... spooky 80s yeah. throwback kind yeah. of uh, meet-up. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> on our bikes, yeah. When did you first get into cycling then? Well, I remember it was specifically why. Uh, 
I suppose it must have been about eight years ago now, I went out for dinner with Robert Elms, the broadcaster. And we are both quite obsessed with clothes. We we both grew up uh, sort of going to the same rooms, you know, maybe seeing the Sex Pistols or Bowie or Rod Stewart, uh, but not knowing each other. We didn't meet until the end of the 70s when Steve Strange had this club called Billy's and then it ended up moving to a club called Blitz on Tuesday night. And it was a real dressing up extravaganza of um, mostly young working class kids and um, um, Central School of St. Martin's fashion designers, lots of who, which have gone on and been very successful uh, in different fields. And that whole scene became the new romantic scene. And Robert was very much a sort of a, a face of that and a, a spokesman. He, worked, he ended up working as, as, a, as a reporter for the face. So we've always had conversations about youth culture, clothes, music. And, he, and I'm sitting having dinner with him. And he said, um, I had a fitting today. And I assumed he was talking about a suit, you know. So I said, all right. He said, it, it took three hours wow, some suit. And um, he said, no, it's for a bike. But I didn't really quite understand it, you know, not having looked at that particular sort of lifestyle at that time. And he explained to me, you know, how he was going to have this bike made and uh, and it wasn't even a bike. It was just a frame. Like, wow, you know. <laughs> and um, And so he said, I'll send you a link when you get home. Uh, and he sent me a link to the Rafa website, which is, you know, fairly new in those days. And the first thing that popped up was a bunch of grizzled blokes about my age wearing similar clothes to each other. And, oh, well, there's youth cult in middle age. You know, <laughs> so I just, you know, being in a gang is about wearing like, having a like-minded sort of sensibility, wearing particular gear together. And there was this bunch of these blokes, and they were sitting around on chairs drinking espressos. So it was very exciting to look at as I flicked through it, and, I th and, uh, and then I kind of got the gist of what, what Bob was talking about then, that this was a, there was an element of camaraderie in this and culture and an opportunity to, um, you know, to, what do you... I, I, I don't play football. You know, I, I don't do any sort of team sports like that, you know. Um, the sport I loved, which I'll talk to you about, is, is, was mountain walking and climbing when I was younger. But this, this felt like, wow, this is something I, I could get out and do. Because I went to the gym all the time. I've not stopped keeping fit since I was in my mid-twenties. It's always been a, a, a gym person and uh, running a bit, but, but not so much. Anyway, so <clears throat> I think it was the Rafa website that really got me into it. And I, I ended up um, getting a bike. Um, what bike did you Do you know get? what? You, I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> and it's gone because it got stolen almost... Fairly soon after, it got stolen off the top of my car. I was unloading. I parked it and I was unloading some other stuff. When I went back, it had gone. But you got another one. Well, I got a, I got a Colnago after that. I got a C50 Colnago, which I ended up um, crashing quite a few times. In fact, I broke... Um, I had to send it to be repaired, uh, carbon repair. And then I'd bit, been really nervous on it because I had another crash after that. <laughs> I don't crash that much, but there was a lot fewer at the beginning. And... Um, and so I moved up to uh, uh, an EPS, Colnago, um, which I still have and which I've had for about seven years, which has been, you know, all I've, you know, various, in fact, it's been 
it's been to Australia, it's been to uh, South Africa, and it's been, you know, the usual sort of Alps and um, and uh, various places in Spain. And so I think I, then I got in with a group of fellas, you know, and and I really I quite enjoyed that because I'd never had the experience of um, hanging out with blokes since being in the band, you know. But um, I also so I like that camaraderie thing. There was we we were starting to have get-togethers once a week, you know, on a, a Friday morning, get out and uh, do an hour even, you know, around the park and just have some coffees afterwards. And I thought, you know, that was that was really a nice. That's a very nice feeling, you know, when when you've not had it for a long time. But um, at the weekends, I was going out on my own or quite a bit on my own. And when then my wife suddenly caught up as well. I have this wonderful relationship with her on the bike. You know, our lives are, you know, full of the, ch the you know, three children and um, the various domestic stuff that everyone faces. And, um, you know, we'll go out for dinner. But that escape that we have when we, we take our bike, when we take our bikes everywhere. So if we're going up to the Lake District on a summer holiday, you know, we'll take our bikes and we'll try and have help so we can both go out together at some stage. And uh, we've been, you know, to Mallorca together quite a few times, uh, it's just the two of us. What I like about cycling is the heightened reality, you know, that mixture of endorphins and aesthetics that come together. And um, it's very nice to be doing that with and experiencing that with the person I love rather than a bunch of grizzled old men. <laughs> Present company expects yeah, yeah. I think that's quite unusual. I've not heard of many couples who happily cycle together, actually. Yeah, yeah, I think I've, there's a few of my friends who are quite envious of that. But, um, I mean, she's... I know, I know that Martin Fry from ABC cycles a lot with, with his wife. I think there's a lot to be said for it. It's, it's really important now. We love it in our relationship, that escape that sense of adventure together, that, you know, the endorphin rush together. And, and it's a kind of comeback and we've got a bit of a secret, you know. It's, we've experienced something that few other people have, whether it's bad weather or whether it's a brilliant sun. Um, the Lake District is, is a, is a favourite of ours. As I said earlier, the Chilterns we, we go to and, and the Cotswolds, obviously. But cycling in the lakes is, is quite hard. I mean, there are some absolutely brilliant... 25% percenters there. Um, we normally stay together, my wife and I, when we're cycling. But obviously on the hill, it's, um, you know, you go at your own pace. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, maybe her power-to-weight ratio is very good, is all I'm saying. She beats you uphill. <laughs> well, we, we, she's definitely equal. Um, yeah, I mean... I think what would be unfair is to um, is to suck on the back of her wheel for the whole hill and then t then go for beat her at the end. I think that might cause a domestic argument. There's a really nice gym um, that um, is near here called Performance Pro, um, and 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 I met this great guy out cycling who runs it, and uh, he, they've got what bikes in there, and my wife and I go there a couple of times a week. We do exercise for the bike specific in core exercise, leg exercise. But I'm in, you know, I think the whole body is important, to be honest. You know, a lot of, a lot of cyclists think they're just, you know, it, they're getting enough fitness to cycling. And actually, you know, I think there's, there's more to it. You look at any great cycling um, cyclist and, and, and they're, 
you know, they're in the gym doing all kinds of weights. And uh, but the core is really important. You know, you can, no point having a stiff bike if you've got a jelly belly. You know, so that just all helps for the for the power. And sh we get on the Watt bike there, and they always have some sort of challenge every uh, every week. Um, I've never been top male uh, in there uh, in the room, but she's always top female every week. It's and her power to weight ratio is fantastic. Yeah. You mentioned um, a couple of other musicians there. there. There is something, isn't there, about that sort of link between cycling and uh, musicians and actors as well? Uh, yeah, I suppose with musicians, it's, uh, you know, a fascination with the kit. You know, uh, the geometry of a bike isn't that dissimilar to just talking about the geometry of, you know, the, the difference between a Strat and a Les Paul. Um, amps, pedals, you know, we're fascinated with toys, aren't we? And I suppose, you know, we can sit and talk about group sets or whatever it might be. Um, so, and I suppose having time on your hands. You know, musicians, actors tend to be quite into their fitness. They're quite into the escape of... You see, when you make music, it's really quite interesting. I, I have a very similar feeling when I'm playing with a band as when I'm riding. When you're playing with a band, or, or you, you're, you're thinking only of the next four bars. And that puts you really in the moment. It's a wonderful feeling. All, all the rest of life just goes away. The next four bars are in front of you. And it's a bit like the next four yards when you're cycling. You know, that, that, you know you're, you're not really thinking around the corner. And you're certainly not thinking about, I don't solve my daily life problems on a bike. I, 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 I enjoy where I am and the, and the moment that I'm in. So uh, I think there's a musicality and certainly... You know, when you're turning the pedals, there's a musicality in that. I mean, how many times do we cycle and what happens is tunes come into our head and repeat themselves over and over again. I have, you know, find myself, you know, coming up with lyric ideas on a, on a bike as well. I think as, uh, when I've, as an actor, when I've done parts, I did a part, you know, in the West End, say, on, on stage, you've got a lot of lines to learn. It's quite a good place to sort of cycle over the lines in your head as well when you're... When you're, but also as a way of escaping. So I think there's there's all those elements. Yeah. You talked a bit about uh, doing the tap and, and and riding elsewhere. Is it was there a particular event or a particular route that you really love? I mean, I've been lucky, you know, taking my bike down to Australia on tour with a band and and and, and Cape Town, uh, Chapman's Peak. Unfortunately, Chapman's Peak, I could, did not see a thing. It was it was it was terrible weather, and that sometimes happens. Uh, uh, I, I did sh um, Chamonix down to Nice with 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 a bunch of guys. That was very exciting. I do like the Iswild. I think that's really a great mountain. You know, you, the, the sense of you know, being out of breath from uh, the altitude is very exciting. You know, I climbed Mont Blanc when I was um, about 27. So I've, I've, I, I don't ski, but I've always loved going up hills. And I'm still a bit like that with cycling. I like going up. I do not like descending. I have, I'm a writer. I've got imagination. I can see what's gonna happen to myself if I hit that corner too fast. So I've never really built up speed going around the corner. And, you know, they just have to wait for me. It does cut back on the fact that I can't have carbon rims. Um, and I am c considering, you know, a different form of braking. Yeah, I, I, I'm not crazy at descending. I, 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 but, I, but, I, but I love getting, getting to the top. I like that. I like the view and the feeling of punching through the clouds if you have to. I suppose the Tourmalet was, a, was, a, was one of my favourite climbs because... I did the when I first did the etap, it was with the Tourmalet. I think it was the la that was the last mountain of three, and it was early days for me. 
I'd only just really started. It was my first trip abroad on the bike. And of course, you can't train for anything like that in the UK. So I was a bit shell-shocked. I finished within the time, and that was okay. But it took a long, it was a long day. It was 40 degrees, I remember. And it was horrendous. And the tourmalade, I, you know, I just remember feeling like I was in World War I. There were bodies everywhere wrapped in silver foil. And, you know, men just hiding under tiny bits of shade of, of, of a rock sticking out of the side of the mountain. Um, I got my food right, I got my electrolytes right, I didn't throw up and I, got, and I did complete, finish it. But then when I went back, I did, um, a few years later, I did uh, a ride from um, uh, across the, the, uh, the Pyrenees from the Atlantic to the Med, and, which was a five-day ride, and I uh, re-attacked the Tourmalet again. And it was actually, surprisingly, much easier than I remembered it. And I guess I'd had, had some history in my legs by then. Do you have any cycling plans or ambitions for this year? My wife and I are going to Mallorca, probably later than, than, than the heavy part of the season, which I, which I, you know, you don't want to be there when there are too many cyclists. Unfortunately, when, 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 when you get to the later part of the season, there, there are too many coaches. I want to go with her on a, one of those kind of just a sort of hit and run, quick jaunt into the Alps and, 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 and Alp Dwez I've never done. So I'd like to do that. I'd like to try and do that this summer. You know, having done the attack, I find riding with so many riders absolutely terrifying. I quite like riding solitary. I have to say, um, even as I, as, as I mentioned, the camaraderie of riding and riding my wife's great, but there's also a great sense of being the only one on the road and not having people flying by you. I mean, it's, it's crazy out there sometimes. That's probably another link between musicians and, and cyclists. Uh, sometimes, is it? sometimes it can be a really solitary solitary pursuit you know i think you do need to clear your head don't you and um you know i write alone i don't co-write with people i like i've always liked having a creative moment on my own ever since i was a kid and there 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 is that about cycling i'm quite happy to go off um for a long ride and not not chat and just get in i don't wear headphones either you know i'm always worried about headphones what's the thing about headphones i know that a lot of people wear those things but i'd like to I'm, i'd really like to hear the car coming up behind me um and if i've got music in my ears that 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 slightly worries me i mean you know i haven't got the director of sport in my ears i've got music now we have a relatively newish feature on this podcast uh, which is called get down stay down uh, where we ask our guests um, if there's anything that really winds them up about cycling you've been very positive about cycling either pro cycling or everyday cycling anything that particularly annoys you gary well, obviously, it's other people because it's nothing about my cycling that annoys me. I'm I'm anti numbers. Um, I I don't ride with anything. Um, yes, I do sometimes record my ride for. Can I say Strava? Yeah. Of course, I can sometimes record my ride onto Strava. But I've got quite a lot of friends who become obsessed with being the fastest on Strava or you know, third fastest if they can get up, whatever it is. And for me, that just takes away all the enjoyment of what cycling's about. You know, I, 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 I've cycled the Alps with, with friends who, who go up mountains looking at their Garmin, nothing else, to, to get their wattage exactly where it should be. And they, have, they might as well be just in a gym. To be honest, you know, there are plenty of people out there who do numbers for a living, and I think when they get on their bike, they still end up doing numbers, and... Um, for me, it has to be about the aesthetics. 
I'm very much into the aesthetics. So um, I, I don't think it's about how fast you do a ride. I think it's how much you, uh, you, you know, enjoyment it can fill you with looking around. Gary, thanks for joining us. If, if uh, anyone listening to this has any issues that particularly uh, get to them or particularly annoy them, uh, do drop not some email. No, <laughs> no apart, apart from Gary. Yeah. yeah. But if you do have any issues that particularly get to you or annoy you, uh, do drop us a mail, uh, podcast at ruler.cc. Uh, Gary Kemp, thanks very much indeed for joining us on the uh, on the Ruler podcast, and and yeah, have a uh, happy and safe year cycling. Thank you so much. Glad you guys exist. Well, now I'm sorry to say we have to lower the tone a little by heading to Leon C in Essex and joining the editor of Ruler's Desire section for our technical roundup. Stuart Clapp, are you there? I am. I'm here. I'm here again. You had me back. That's amazing. (laughs) I wasn't sure that was going to happen. Welcome back to the Narcissistic Sports Pimp. Ah, thanks, mate. Thanks. Um, I'm going to be less narcissistic this week, I think. And what is it you're talking this week? I shudder to say this, but I believe you've got some stories about lube. This is it. I've I've got a thing about summer, winter, things like this, right? Uh, Lube-wise... Right. I, I once sat in on a presentation a little while back, a rep from the brand um, White Lightning, and he was talking about how you don't necessarily match the lube to the weather, but match it to the customer. So if you know someone, if you've got a customer that goes in, into his bike shop and you know he doesn't look after his bike, give him a really hardcore lube that he's going to stay, you know, like a wet lube, slosh it on. Or, you know, if he's one of those guys that sort of really looks after his bike, cleans it after every ride, then he can have a ceramic one. Anyway, I'm trying out this new lube at the moment from Ceramic Speed called UFO Lube. And uh, it's the, they claim it's the fastest lube, right? A lot of the pro teams use it. To be honest, it hasn't made me any faster, but I quite like using it. So I'm giving that a bash at the moment. How does it stand up to really horrible weather and muck off the roads? It's going okay so far. Where I live in Leon Sea, which isn't South End on Sea, it's, uh, uh, I do a lot of riding along the seafront. And when it's been windy, it's been blowing the sand up onto the bike path that goes along the seafront. And that stuff just sticks to your drive chain. So it's like... You'll, you'll look at your bike afterwards and it's been, it's like, it looks like it's been sandblasted or pebble dashed. It's not, it's not a great look and I don't think it's very good for components. So um, it's, it's okay. It's, it's good. It's good. I'm, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a little bit more time. I've only been using it a week so far, but yeah, it's good. It is good. And you reckon you could use that summer and winter as long as you look after your bike. And, and do you have the same sort of feeling about tyres? And surely there are summer tyres and winter tyres. See, this is another one of my summer winter uh, things where I've got a bit of a bugbear about winter tyres. And the reason being is, is that they're really, really difficult to get on and off. So for the past couple of years, I haven't used them. I haven't noticed any great difference in in punctures. I think if you're going to puncture, you puncture, regardless of what tyres you've got. But if you're stuck out in the middle of nowhere and you've got cold hands, your mates are waiting, they're swearing at you, and, you know, it's wet and freezing cold, your hands don't work properly, trying to get a really, really tough bead on the winter tyre on and off your rim is really difficult. I find some of them really hard to do in my kit, but that might be because my wrists are made of poppadoms but um i can't get them on and off when i'm in, in my you know in my living room 
when uh, you know when when it's nice and warm and dry. So, there, but I, again, there's a happy medium, and I'm uh, I'm I gave Vittoria. Um, open parvays abash last year. Were they the ones that had the green sidewalls? They used to have them at uh, Paris Roubaix all the time. That's the one. Yeah, they used them there. So, and I thought, again, you don't. A lot of these, a lot of winter tyres can be. You know, they're really heavy and uh, and you know they they don't look that cool either. And uh, so I've I've put on yeah. So I I used those last year. So, and I've been using, so far this year, I've been using, I went back as a bit of an experiment and just used Continental GP4000s because I know that I can get them on and off. It's a really reliable tyre, always has been to me. And I know it's so, pe people get attached to a tyre brand and, and, they, and they stick with it. But, you know, I, I'm trying other things out. And so I've switched now and I've gone to um, Vittoria Corsa Controls, which are, winterized version of the 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 Corsa tire that everyone had last summer you know with a tan sidewall which is really cool it's a really cool looking tire they look cool but they're really hard to keep clean aren't they well yeah they are so that's encouraged me to clean my bike a little bit more than i usually would have done because you get that when you've been out in the damp you get that black stuff from the from the brake blocks sort of going up onto the sidewall but wipe down afterwards, you, they're, good, they're good to go. But again, these tyres were ones that were developed at Paris-Roubaix. Sort of, they're, they're like a, like a roll-on from that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm giving those a bash and I really like them. And I can get them on and off as well. Should I puncture? Haven't yet. Touch wood. Uh, so, yeah. And they're called Vittoria Corsa Control? Yes. And I'm riding the 25C ones because the, the, um, the, the, the 28 mil ones are, um, are, are huge. And I'm not even sure I'll get them through my fork. Uh, yes, 25C. See? Yeah, they're, they're, they're nice. They're nice. I'm giving them a go. Away from cycling, Stuart, I know you're a football fan, or at least you're a, you're a Millwall supporter. Um, I imagine you enjoyed the uh, Millwall game against Rochdale in the FA Cup the other day. I, I was really hoping you weren't going to bring that up. It was utterly painful. Nine changes. Neil Harris, and I love Neil Harris, and I'm all, you know that bit in Alan Partridge where, where he goes, I'm your biggest fan, and gets his face tattooed across his chest. See, I, I'm, I'm like that about Neil Harris. But nine changes, first team changes was a step too far. We're not Manchester United. We're not one of these big clubs. And Rochdale, they're up for it. A lot of these And I apologize, but once again we seem to have sound problems which mean that we can't hear Stuart's full views on the Millwall Rochdale game. That's it from this podcast though. Thanks to Stuart, thanks to Ian Cleverly, and of course thanks to our very special guest Gary Kemp. Catch up next time. The thing is, you say that, but you don't want to go out at home 2-1 to Rochdale. And they talk about the glamour of the FA Cup. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.